This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Jonah Matranga, guitarist and lead vocalist for the Sacramento, California rock band, Far. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan-favorite single, Mother Mary, taken from their 1998 album, Water and Solutions. Jonah mentioned that it was around the time of making this record that his songwriting began to change a bit. He started writing songs with full-on choruses and hooks, rather than parts just strewn together to form a song. Enter producer Dave Sardi, who at the time was a very underground name. Dave let the band be themselves, retain the integrity of who they were as a band and as individuals, and at the same time, usher in a bit more melody and songwriting to the process. This is not only a song, but a band that has influenced a whole host of bands that came after them, from Thursday, Hot Water Music, and Jimmy Eat World. Jonah pointed out that Mother Mary's lyrics are more poignant now in 2024 than ever, especially considering the fact that they were written almost 30 years ago. Awesome. So for all this and a whole lot more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hello there, Jonah. Good morning to you. You're on the West Coast. Hello there, Chris. You're on that other coast where I grew up. I am, and I understand that you're in Eugene, Oregon right now. Is that is that right? I made a move to Oregon after many years in California, got priced out, and came up to Oregon to find a place I could afford. I love it. Is Wow Hall still in Eugene? Is that still doing, they still doing shows? Hell yeah, that's the first, I mean, I guess that's probably the first place a lot of us played in Eugene. Uh-huh. Without that first Wow Hall show in 95, I'm not sure I'd be living here, because um, that's what, that's when I first kind of got a crush on Eugene, and I was kept in the back of my head. And then when we were thinking about being up here, I was like, you know, Eugene's a cool place. I remember the wow. And I played here a couple times since, but the wow, yeah, well done. Love it. Eugene was one of the first places I ever landed uh, in the band that it was just like, I'm looking around, I'm like, this is, these aren't costumes. This is real. These are real hippies yeah. here. Yeah. And and it was, you know, yeah. like you'd, you'd see stuff in the movies or people would have a look and, you know, that certain kid would wear <laughs> bell bottoms. But like the culture was just I'd never seen it like that. It was and the shows were just, as you know, off the hook. Yeah, just wild. People are it's a it's a mellow place. And yeah, I just experienced it as a place where because it's funny, I've always hated hippies only because I actually think of myself as actually a real hippie and, <laughs> and not like a put on hippie. And Eugene has a lot of real ass hippies. Um, yeah. <laughs> just people kind of being themselves, being kind of fucking weird. And yeah, they go off at shows. Always been a lovely music place. Also, for anyone out there who loves The Simpsons, the Springfield that's right next to Eugene, this Springfield, Oregon, is the real, it's where uh, Matt grew up and stuff. So 
That's the that's the Simpsons one. It's not Springfield, Missouri. It's not nope. Springfield, Massachusetts. It's nope. Springfield, Oregon. Okay. It's, okay. That's the real deal. I, I verified it. We gotta be clear on that. Well, Jonah, we have a, a Facebook group uh for the podcast with over like it's ridiculous, something like five thousand five hundred members at this point. Wow. And we have a, a guest request thread in there that uh, my producer Chris keeps uh, keeps tabs on. Smart. And your name kept coming up over and over again, and that's why we reached out. People were wondering uh, about you, about this song. We're going to talk about Mother Mary, and I've heard this song. I didn't know it was you guys. You know, far <laughs> totally. far was such. When you look back now, I remember like when we were all starting out. Eight years was like an eternity. Yeah. But if you look 1991 when you when when the band formed to yeah. when you broke broke up in 99, yeah. we're only talking a span of eight years, and it was just like I feel you were just starting to get going when a lot of these bands that later on uh, cited you as a huge influence, Hot Water Music, Thursday, yeah. Jimmy E. World. Uh, yeah. I feel like you guys just uh, bowed out. You were doing stuff with Deftones. You were doing stuff with Incubus. Uh, and this track's really cool. I can't wait to get in, in, in br- and break it down with you. Can you take us back uh, to, to writing the song? I can. Yeah, this is actually one that I do have a very particular set of memories around. Uh, and just to get out of the way, I wrote a book about all this shit. And so this story is, is in there in depth. Oh, awesome. Because I kind of used the songs that I've written as signposts to kind of figure out where I was in my life. And so this one was a signpost for me. I really remember the moment. So yeah, um, I mean, context is Far had just, we tried releasing our first record on Sony, um, Immortal, uh, you know, which is which is kind of how we got to know Incubus and Korn and that whole scene that we totally didn't fucking fit into. But, you know, whatever, it's where we were. And actually, the first time I played the Wow Hall in Eugene was with The Urge, also on Immortal. So just shout out to The Urge. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So we had done our first record. We were this total misfit rock band. We had mostly been torn with like Snapcase and Strife and Sensefield and bands that had nothing to do with the bands that the label is now trying to get us to do a thing with. It's all to say the first record was, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll just say that when it hit 10,000 copies of sales, I made everyone little mock plaques with little mason jar lids on it. And I just said, <laughs> congratulations on helping us go, and br- helping us go brass. Yeah. So that's where we were at. I don't think Sony was going to do another record. Um, there was not a lot of, yeah, we weren't getting a lot of calls. Well, real quick, just just yeah. for everyone listening, you you did a couple of independent records. So yeah, listening yeah. game, listening game came out in ninety two, and then quick followed in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Uh, you then signed to Epic Immortal and released yeah. uh, the first major label album, Tin Cans yeah. with Strings. That was in April of ninety six. Yeah, uh, and then Mother Mary came out on the next record. So that record, Tin Cans with Strings, was was Mother Mary uh, held over from that album or in the past, or was it written no. specifically for Water and Solution? Yeah, so no, I mean, as short as our tenure was anyway, and everything you just said was A, really lovely, and B, really true, we kind of bailed probably at the wrong time, but that's a story for another day, uh, or maybe later today. Um, But 91 to 94 was kind of local hero time, and us trying to figure out who the fuck we were, and we also released a little cassette, which had some things that ended up on Tin Cans, but Tin Cans was, um, it was, you know, our big debut we didn't think we were so great. We didn't, really didn't know who we were, but we were a, an incredibly ambitious band, as even the, the earlier 
local sort of DIY releases would attest. For better or for worse, we were really trying hard. <laughs> and so we tried real hard on tin cans. And it just, for me, was kind of a mess. I know a lot of people love that record, and I love it in a lot of ways. But it was missing, for me, basically, it was missing songs. And ultimately, I'm a songwriter. Why I got into FAR was, could I find a rock band that wanted not a traditional rock front man, but one that was more song-focused and one that was a little more of a fucking hippie? And so that was a, a time when I was really pushing for, hey, we need some tunes on this record. I want tunes on the next record. I love the riffs, love the heavy, love the weird aggression, love the crazy, quiet, loud we are doing. And I wanted some tunes. And so we had done some demos. They they weren't particularly well received. We were having trouble finding a producer. Let me ask you real quick, Jonah, who produced Tin Cans with Strings? Ah, so Brad Wood, who uh, he of Sunny Day Real Estate and Liz Fair and Veruca Salt fame. Yeah. And I mentioned those three acts because we all loved Sunny Day. We all saw them as like one of the misfits that we kind of fit with in a weird way. And then I loved Liz Fair's first couple records so much. I can't even tell you how much I loved Exile and Guyville. And then Sean was a big fan of Veruca Salt. And here's this guy who had done all three of those artists. And we thought, this could be great. He was the wrong choice for us. He was he is fantastic as a human, as a producer. And we weren't ready for a producer, much less one with, frankly, his taste as refined and interesting as his. We were just kind of a mess of arguments and identity at that time. So he did his best, and he was not the choice for us. And we were really looking for someone that could kind of, yeah, do something else with us. And so we found this guy, Dave Sardi, the Sardi, really, I'm sure he would prefer. Uh, he was in a band called Bark Market. I saw Bark Market in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> nice! I saw them at a weird shoal in New York City. It's bizarre. Did you know their drummer, Bark Market's drummer, at least at the time, little skinny dude with like this long straight hair straight out of just metal camp central casting literal name on his driver's license rock savage <laughs> shit you not. uh so bark market yeah our heroes our heroes um that's awesome so yeah they did a record called elron and the first track on it is called the visible cow We heard this record. We had already loved Bark Market before then, but we heard this record and we thought, this is what we want our record to sound like. So we were kind of desperate to get Sardi. He wasn't as big a deal then as he is now. So we kind of got, we're talking with him, but he just wasn't that into it. And the demos we were making, they just weren't, I don't know. They weren't doing it for anyone, really. So it is all winding up for this. I took it upon myself to send a little... Uh, I think it was a cassette at this time, or maybe a dat or something, to Sardi myself. I didn't talk to the label or the band or anybody of these demos that I was working on alone. I had kind of pitched them to the band. The band wasn't that into them, but I was like, fuck this. It's how I get myself in trouble. But I just really wanted to take a swing. And so I sent these things to Sardi, and Mother Mary was one of the things on them. And that's what got the call back.
he was curious. I remember Paul Pontius, in particular, the A&R for Immortal, said when he when I finally sent him these demos, he says, what's that one with the toy guitar and the girl singing? And I was like, yeah, that's Mother Mary. That's me singing. <laughs> and that's just me recording in my attic. So to circle around to the writing of it, I would play in my attic all the time. My daughter would come up and, and hang out and see what I was doing. She was four at the time or something. No, God, two. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. And she would come up and when she would start dancing a little bit to a song, when a song would get her attention, I would kind of think, huh, I think this one might have something. <laughs> and so I had this chorus, this Mother Mary, oh, oh, oh. and she loved that song. She called it Yiddle Mother Mary. And <laughs> I put it on a, the demo on a cassette, like a repeating, like the song over and over again on a little cassette, and she put it in a little boom box. So yeah, that I knew it was a, I knew it had something, and it was a little bit messier as a demo than than Sardi chopped it down to. But um, that was the genesis of the tune. And actually, just to go back further and give Johnny bassist from Far some credit. The song really started. I had this crazy labyrinth of a riff that was like no no ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 and. He said, I don't know about the whole riff, but that little da-da-da-da-da-da-da, why don't you just repeat that? And then I went da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and I was like, ooh, that's a little fucking sass. And so that was the real startings of it. And then my daughter heard it and started dancing, and I had a chorus, and and it, it kind of came up from that. But th- that is the that is the genesis of that tune well that's very cool and you were gracious enough to share the demo which the demo is three minutes yeah. and 31 seconds the final yeah. song ended up being 216 so you shaved off about a minute and 15 seconds almost uh, another third of this song uh the intro was was way different before the yeah. actual song that we know now uh started uh there was like a bridge and, and an all outro. ethereal and shit yeah R- right but it's interesting too you know as you said dave sardi was wasn't as well known then. Of, of course, he's received Grammys now for his work with Toots and the Maytals, Rodrigo uh, Gabriela, OK Go, Wolfmother, Marilyn Manson, etc. But at the time, you know, and, and Bark Market, he's kind of going for that lo-fi approach. What did Epic Immortal think of that? Because, you know, if you listen to Corn and Deftones and Incubus, yeah, those were yeah. big rock, really good sounding productions. Yeah, I think our window in was that Ross Robinson had had some hits and Ross was also kind of a feeling sonic wild producer. And remember, these are these are post Nirvana days. No one really knew what the fuck was going to work at that time. And also the industry, frankly, was very bloated because it was pre-internet and we were still remastering and redoing everything on all these physical media, all these things that are now these arcane concepts. But at the time, there was a lot of money around, which is probably the only reason we got signed in the first place. And no one knew what the fuck to sign, which is the other reason we probably got signed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> real, real talk. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's no, it's it's true. It was it, it was it was a strange time when you look back and you look at some of those records. There's a lot of great bands that were just they were produced wrong. You know, they yeah. had the you you could hear it in the production. Yeah, uh, and 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 uh, it's amazing that uh, as much good stuff came out of it because it was a very confusing time. The Nirvana, as you know, turned everything on yeah. its head after the eighties. 
Yeah, and I think that is why it was such a fucking cool time looking back on it is because everyone was confused and there was loot around. Um, it, it uh, <laughs> I, I just, I really, I believe in that. Anyone who, uh, you know, I'm all for whatever the industry is now, it's fine. And the streaming overlords make the major label record labels of old that everyone would write awful articles about. And yeah, they've done some horrible shit, but the streaming... <laughs> People make those people look like communist arts benefactors, you know, like <laughs> it was a it was a time when you could get money to make a fucking cool record. Um, anyway, so we we got money. So to answer your question about Sardi, no one really did believe in him that much, but no one really believed in us either. And everyone was happy when I got Sardi interested, basically, because at least we had a producer who had done something. Um, right. Right. And and he was into it, and everyone just kind of wanted to keep the, I think, uh, the machine going as they raged against it at that point. Um, well, here here's one yeah. last thing I want to. Please, gotta I ask love you, it. I love it. I gotta I gotta ask you for before we uh, drop in and start breaking down the track. Yeah, the record was recorded uh, in April of '97, but wasn't released till almost a year later in March 10th of '98. What was the reason for that? Was there some talk of the label not wanting to put it out? That seems a for back then a really long time. I don't know truly what went on behind the scenes. I, If I remember correctly, I don't think it was anyone wondering, because once the loot was spent, it's like, well, let's go ahead and... Try to recoup on our on our investment. Well, just see, yeah, just see if it sticks, and, and if not, we'll, it'll probably be a write-off or something. Who knows how that shit works? But uh, yes, yeah, so I don't know exactly what was going on. As far as I remember, honestly, I think by the time it could have come out, it would be the fall... And I think they had some big releases lined up for then. So they were like, that wouldn't be a good time to do it. And then the holidays when is the worst time to do it. And so the spring back then for kind of up and coming unknown bands was for whatever reason considered the safest time to, to put stuff out. That's what I remember. Now maybe someone was just saying that to give them time to decide whether they're going to shelve it or not. No, I, I but, think it kind of I think it kind of makes sense uh, that that timeline because you know you would do a test single in the spring and you'd send the band out that summer uh, and hope and hoped MTV would pick it up and, and radio would pick it up. Yeah, I mean I, it was a different time. It was it just was there was it was there was uh, it was as chaotic as it was. There was a lot more order to it than there is now it's funny you say that i was talking to somebody about that the other day is <laughs> yeah you know that yeah. it seems that it would, it would be it'd be the reverse but i want to get into this thing two minutes and 16 seconds i've always said that songs that are super long but don't seem long yeah. you know it's because they were well written same thing goes for this this song to me seems way longer than two minutes yeah. and 16 seconds yeah uh, it, it doesn't feel like it goes by super quick and i believe that's because it's a well-written complete song the intro's five bars of what i'm calling the main song riff drop d here these chords are also the verse chords played by one guitar kind of front and centered on bar six the vocals kick in. Like Elvis, like everyone, we all die. No, I first of all just want to give Sardi credit real quick for that 216 
because I often say, because I remember it so clearly, we gave Sardi, at the end, we had 12 demos that were 50-something minutes. And we did three days of pre-production with him. And then we had 12 songs and it was 41 minutes. So he (laughs) trimmed fat off a bunch of shit, including Mother Mary. Um, So I want to give him credit for that. So I truly don't have a very clear idea. I think I was writing about the dangers of sentimentality, also the allure of sentimentality, and about things that I never learned about, but I kind of knew about via osmosis and the strange way that culture kind of seeps into people. And so like Elvis, like, I mean, Elvis is in everyone's collective uh, conscious more than most humans that have ever lived. Elvis, you say the name. I don't care if you've ever heard Elvis song or where you're from or what. Elvis is this, he was, as far as I know, the first like one word creature, you know? (laughs) And so he just seemed like a perfect name to start, you know, because of course his mother Mary, we're going to get there, but that's what the mother Mary thing is about too, is I didn't grow up thinking about the Virgin Mary. I wasn't particularly religious or not or whatever, but it was just in there. So like Elvis, like everyone, we all die. We all live on. That was just sort of my way of saying like all of these sort of almost fictional creatures we've invented, they're not fictional. They're actually human in the case of Elvis and we're all in it together kind of thing. So there, there's that. Well, the lyric is, like Elvis, like everyone, we all die. We all live on in photos and paperbacks. If we're lucky, we're coming back. And I love that line, and paperbacks, because yeah. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of the time that this was written. Right. Because we, because yes. we, didn't, have, we didn't have these gadgets in our pocket that we no. whip out and, and use for everything. And this is keeping us all immortal. We're, we're yeah. going to be in the internet uh, forever, especially, especially Elvis. But this type of lyric, I got to ask, Jonah, was this something you just had in a book somewhere, in a lyric book? Or did you write specifically for this song? And how did that inspiration come up? I mean, I know you explained a little bit, but what was it like? I'm going to write this about, uh, you know, Mother Mary and, and Elvis is going to start the song. Yeah, so I'm an English major, which means that I can be a pretentious fuck sometimes. And I, I will say that I love words and I love letting them arrive and then seeing what they mean. So I'm, I was really into mushmouthing back then, which is a, a tried and true songwriting technique where I get the riff going, I mumble some shit, and then I see maybe are, are there some words peeking out. And so I have the feeling that that's how this one started as well. And I don't think I had a real literary theme in my head until at least the first verse in the first chorus. And so Elvis, though, that line, it riveted me. And when a line gets my attention, I consider it like, uh, when a song gets my attention in any way, I consider it like a little animal I've never seen before. And so I watch it and I check for its behavior and I try to follow it around and see if it'll like show me its house and see if it'll feel safe with me. And by the time I've made friends with that little animal, like that's what the song is, um, is the song is done. And so at the, at the time that I wrote that line, like Elvis, that was the, the first flash of a little tail going around the corner, like, Ooh, that could be a thing. And so I, I don't think I knew quite what was happening then, 
but it, that's what introduced me to it. And then, yeah, the, the paperbacks is a funny kind of antiquated thing at this point, which is hilarious. And yeah, the immortality part, there's a lot of stuff on Water and Solutions just to be super hippie about it. It feels like really prophetic at this point, honestly. And this song to me makes a lot more sense in the context of the internet even than, I, than when I was writing it. So I don't know what was what I was on about, but I was thinking about how people become immortal through these images, and I had no idea how true that was going to be. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Jonah Matranga coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. And now back to the show. Well, at the uh, 28 second mark, we're in chorus one. Another guitar panned off right joins us uh, here as the lead vocal goes to falsetto. Now, you know, when this other guitar comes in, it's not like a standard pair of stereos that are mixed completely uh, right and left. It's like you had no. the center guitar and this other guitar, but the production here. It does just sound like a band that, that that somebody threw up some microphones and recorded them. That's the yeah. vibe that I get. And there's some really cool stuff later in the song with the mixing. But, you know, in terms of a major label band and recording, this is pretty sparse for the time period. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's what we loved about Sardi. It, we we thought we talked about it as a hi-fi boombox. Like that's what we wanted. Um, that yeah. thing w- where you record your band with the boombox in the bedroom and it's super fucking compressed and and we wanted that except yeah, supersonic. And that's what he did. He would him and Greg, his engineer, would have mics all over the room and he'd show us how they they would unmute these mics on the chorus at, to, to, to like to bring it in and. Um, the guitars you're talking about are me and Sean. Sean is definitely always the more clean, solid performance. And mine is always a little bit more fleshy, scrappy performance. And so that's what you're hearing there. And then since you mentioned the falsetto, that initially was a, well, it was the falsetto on the demo, as you heard, when, when Paul thought it was a girl. And then the band wanted the song to be more muscular. They never liked the song. They didn't like it before the label liked it. And they really didn't like it after the label liked it. And so they wanted it to be tougher. And so at that point, we were actually trying to make a heavier version of Mother Mary in the studio. And it was not working, frankly. At least it wasn't working for me. All the magic of it was gone. And so, again, when everyone was out of the studio getting some food, even Sardi was gone. It was just me and Greg uh, or maybe even another engineer at a different studio. I think we were mixing a lot of stuff at the time. And I said, hey, Put up a couple of mics. I want to. I want to take a shot at this. This is not. I don't want this to be mixed like this, basically. And I did that vocal, and I put the falsetto back in the chorus, and I sang a little bit more delicately, and had a little more dynamic in the vocal. And Sardi came back, and he. I think he was a little pissed at me initially. He was like, "You did what?" And then he heard it, and he was like, "All right, yeah." And he did not say that until he fucking loved it. And so, and he wasn't a particularly expressive dude. So I was. Oh, yeah, and I added that harmony in the second verse, which I know to get to. Um, I keep jumping the gun. But anyway, that's the falsetto part. And the room mics and the boomboxy vibe, that's all what we wanted with Sardi. So, way to be. We're coming back. Mother Mary over, over, Mother Mary over, over me. The stereo guitars are doing full downstrokes now uh, in this chorus. Of course, we got that falsetto vocal we spoke about, but what are you saying here with this uh, chorus lyric? Well, yeah, this is when I think I had a little sense going of what the tune might be. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm Jewish. Uh, I grew up not knowing that, as odd as that sounds, but it was kind of a weird not talked about thing in my family and my mom grew up going to catholic boarding school uh and so one of my exposures to religion of any sort was my grandparents who had both assimilated from being jews to to being like you know catholic americans um in the 40s and 50s they we'd go to catholic mass with them and i remember being just kind of struck by all of the imagery and the smoke and the chanting and and of course you know the 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 gorgeous stained glass which a lot of times mother mary was the the figure portrayed in that um and she was just this icon that loomed pretty large in my brain by that point i was on to the thing of like i was curious about why the fuck do i know this person and her story and how does this even happen and so it was sort of Mother Mary over and over and over uh, and Mother Mary over me, this thing that kind of looms over me as this morality, this whatever it is. 
And so, yeah, that's what it was about. Awesome. Well, uh, right after chorus one, we get into a four bar reintro. Goes back to a single guitar, drums, bass, and the room mics are wide open. Yeah, you can hear them now. And the hi hats open too. Yeah, and the whole yeah. scene, the whole scene changes there, and that's literally from muting and unmuting microphones. That's really all that happened there. But what a cool effect! They were and are geniuses. It really, I to this day, when we got done recording Water and Solutions. We were all kind of depressed because we thought we're going to be exposed as a as a fraud as a band because we're never going to be able to sound this good. Like it just <laughs> it sounded so fucking cool to us. We were I have never been more in love with the with the recording right after I did it, and a lot of that was those moves you're talking about. It just blew my mind what they did. It it's awesome. I think it's aged really well too. I think it's aged really well, and I'm grateful for that. I do too. It uh, again, the production sparse, but it's what uh, what yeah. Dave and you guys did with it. Uh, again, yeah. the, the muting of the mics and different things uh, that really make it come alive. Verse two, uh, the room gets way tighter as verse yeah. two tucks back down. Uh, yeah. Your voice stays falsetto for the most part, but I I wrote in my notes, Jonah, occasionally breaking into your lower voice, but it sounds like it's strained and pained to do so. Like you're struggling. Do I want to sing false? that or sing this and i i know that's what you were going for but it's more difficult than you think as a singer i couldn't fake that <laughs> yeah that's uh i appreciate your attention to detail so much and that is a thing that i've always enjoyed about the voice i i only took a few voice lessons in in college there was a class on classical singing so i got some pointers there and one of them was about the head voice to the chest voice and that kind of ah, and figure out where that voice break is and the voice break in particular i'm going to give a little shout out to everyone's favorite megalomaniac bono uh because the third verse of pride in the name of love where he says a shot rings out in the memphis sky mm -hmm. that crack i just needed to find out how that crack happened shot rings out in the memphis I was also into Joni Mitchell and a lot of other female singers at the time who'd really employ their chest and head voices a lot. So I was very curious about this part where the voice breaks. And of course, uh, in the classical singing, you're supposed to be able to develop how to have a seamless journey from head voice to chest voice. And I can do that. I learned how to do that. And I'm still just interested in that part where it wants to break. And Mother Mary happens to be written uh, in a key... And, and the notes I chose were right around that breaking point. So it is me consciously singing. And that was the reason I went into the and redid the vocal is because I wasn't muscling through it and getting all chest voice, which was perfectly possible for me. It was letting it get to that lack of vocal intensity where it could just kind of have a little bit more creak and gravel to it. And that's something that I've just always loved about singing period and that I've come to really enjoy about my voice. It's far from a perfect voice, uh, as it were. Didn't mean to make that terrible jad joke pun. Um, it's far from a perfect voice, but it's my fucking voice. And one of the things I think that I do that a lot of singers don't is explore. It's counterintuitive. I explore the frail parts of my voice to kind of see what I can get out of that, as opposed to leaning on would-be strength and stuff. So that's, that's me doing that. With no 
understand. We throw out all we can. We're on the market. We're up on racks. If we're really lucky, we're coming back. Yeah. I've clearly found my theme. It's sort of this idea of immortality in this total disposable culture. We're paying great attention for a microsecond and and then it's gone. We notice, we understand, we throw it all we can. It's just like I'm noticing is becomes more of this consumption process. So that was the first part of it. And then, you know, we're on the market. I mean, we're up on racks is probably my favorite little messy little metaphor thing because, you know, of course, racks, torture, um, and also magazine racks. And so we're on the market, we're up on racks, you know, and so, yeah, it was just about consumption and our addiction to it and the way it creates, again, this sort of, yeah, this nostalgia thing and this consumption thing this, uh, and, and, and yet somehow makes at least certain figures and terms immortal. Well, you're talking about uh, earlier this song being prophetic all these years later. I mean, there wasn't TikTok in 1996. It's so. fucking wild, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean it's a little you know, bit it's a, weird. That's kind, kind of what you're speaking of here. Some cool stuff in verse two. Right before the line, we're on the market. This guitar panned off right comes in. Yeah. Right before the lyric. And then again, right before we're up yeah. on racks, it yeah. happens. And those types of little blasts, yeah. those remind me of I'm going to use the term. I don't know really how else to explain it. Like post hardcore, you'd hear that a lot. And this track, I know the, the, you know, where you guys come from stylistically genre wise, but this was a different song for you, but I liked hearing those little, those hardcore spurts like that in verse two. It's it's really neat to see that. I love where it sits here. Something else interesting on the last line. If we're really lucky, we're coming back. You go back to your natural voice there. It's not falsetto just on that one line. We also get our first vocal harmony in the song and it's killer. The harmony is awesome. It's very major and sweet, which it almost shouldn't fit, but it does. Yeah. Thanks, man. First of all, I'm I'm really, really enjoying how much you've listened, because that's all I really care about, about music, as that's what I do when I listen to songs. And and it's just, I I rarely meet nerds like myself. Oh, yeah. So way to fucking be. Uh, (laughs) I take it to the nth degree here. (laughs) I love it. So, yeah, I'm going to shout out Chris and a little bit myself, I suppose, because in those Guitar blasts too. Also, Chris does open up his hi hat again, just for those. Yes, I am pretty sure am somewhat responsible for that because I'm a huge Van Halen fan, uh, and there's a song called "Dead or Alive" where Alex, for half the verse, uh, is bound out, oh, full open hi hat, and then on the second half of the verse, yeah, and tightens it up. We was broken up. I just really love when the drummer does makes really musical choices and I enjoy the subtlety of wait to use the crash as long as you can use the open hi-hat you know and sort of just play so I, I want to shout out Chris for for playing so musically, uh, I just adore everything he ever did. And he he was 15 when we started FAR, and I was already this hyper nerd just barraging him with like, okay, so open your eye out on little moments when you want there to be some highlight and close it up. And then when you get our tight and sort of, sort of teaching him about 
what I thought was important about rock drumming. So that's an important moment for me. Um, yeah, and it's an exciting verse for me. There's a lot that happens in a very short time, which is another thing that I think makes the song feel longer than it is, because there's a lot of attention paid to these little details the whole way through. And it's a real Fugazi thing to do, by the way. They were an unspeakably large influence on us. And again, that kind of live in the room playing together thing, that came from a lot of those early Fugazi records as well. Well, and you can and you can hear those dynamics here. I love it. Chorus two. Slightly different lyric, Mother Mary over, over. Mother Mary over me. We don't get that yeah. first over there. It changes yeah. slightly there. Yeah. Uh, and you go you go back to your natural voice here. And that guitar panned off right joins us again for chorus two. So I guess you were singing, uh, I'm calling it your natural voice, but you were singing in that voice. And then you decided, you had said a little bit ago, that you went back and, and redid chorus one. You felt like it needed to have that falsetto element. Uh, why not the other choruses? Why did you why did you keep chorus two? Did you feel like it was building there? Yes, exactly. I'm a big dynamic guy. I mean, I, again, Zeppelin is probably the band in my DNA the most. And what I really took from them, obviously, I don't make things that sound like Led Zeppelin, but the way in which I do is that I love a song that goes on a journey. So even if it's a two-minute pop song, I want the first chorus and the second chorus to be slightly different. I want I want it always to be changing and, and growing and expanding. And I just love that. And so by the time the second chorus came around, I thought, I've kind of earned the right to lean into this one a little bit more. And that's when I, I give it a little bit of growl at the end of, oh, me, you know, like right before the, the breakdown, which is coming up. But yes, yeah, so I, I kind of, that was a big like ramp up to that breakdown, which we're getting up to now. Well, yeah, we get a, uh, it's like a one bar. And you want to talk about the drumming again. There's this drum fill that yes. comes in along yes. with, ba- with bass, bass guitar, yes. and both of the guitars before what I'm calling verse three. It's a breakdown, sure. but we're getting, we're getting this, uh, this same lyric again. Elvis, like everyone, we all die, we all live on photos and paperbacks. Was there any thought at this point, hey, we need more information, or no, I just want to hit him with the same lyric again? What was the uh, the thought process there keeping it the same? It wasn't laziness by any stretch, but frankly, the first verse was so fucking strong. Uh, I just loved it so much. And I have a thing with, with songwriting where I just think there's it's been done so beautifully by so many people, and so... Things like repeating a verse, things like uh, saying the word yeah, things like a scream. I look at them all as like, I've got to earn my points to use with the songwriting gods. And so this was one where I was like, this is a fucking good tune. I deserve to, to do a little reprise of the first verse right here. And it just kind of felt right. And I didn't have anything better. What I see here is I, I see a lot of restraint from a young man, from a Thank young you. songwriter. Thank you. 
I was showing a lot more restraint in my songs than I was as a human being, so thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, either either I was lazy and we didn't want to come up with other words for a verse. That was a, a move of mine early on. <laughs> or, or or I would have to write something different because it has to be different. It can't be the same. I, I yeah. can't be lazy. So it yeah. was one of the two. And a lot of times the restraint comes in with going, no, why can't it be twice? It, it actually is perfect. It's not lazy. It's yeah. good how it is. I love what goes on here in this breakdown. The room mic. Uh, again, uh, one lone guitar is panned for this section. If, if, if you're looking at, uh, and I'm explaining this in layman's terms to everyone listening, you know, if you have a panning button to where you're going to turn everything over to your left speaker or right speaker, I'm hearing this at like 11 a.m., like on a clock yeah. dial. But, it, but, it, but, but this guitar feels like it's 25 feet away jonah in yeah. the room it's yeah. awesome it's yeah. the way that the whatever mics he muted at that point and it gives this illusion that like all of a sudden i'm in a, i'm in a different room now that's what yeah. i feel with this part you don't get that a lot with with modern productions i don't hear that i'm hearing everything mastered at the same level you don't yeah. get those ebbs and flows and that dynamic the back half of this is killer uh and again verse three is the same lyrics as verse one like elvis like everyone we all die we all live on in photos and paperbacks if we're lucky we're coming back right before the line if we're lucky and right before we're coming back the drums bass and that other guitar panned off right they come in again full volume accenting the single guitar and it's super heavy and it's those it's those breakneck moments that come out uh you mentioned fugazi uh rites yeah. of spring a lot of 100 the, the post hardcore bands would, would, would do that and then we get in to a two-line bridge, uh, drum, <laughs> drums, bass, drums, ba <laughs> drums, bass, and both guitars are all in. And this sounds like the vocals doubled here on these two lines. It is. Oh, and by the way, yeah, thanks for fucking catching like and talking about that harmony because that was my one. It might be the one harmony on the whole record. I did a couple other doubles and unisons. Well, uh, we'll get to that because there's something yeah. at the end here that's almost yeah. like like a harmony, yeah. but yeah, unison. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> but th that's another thing. And at this point, I have in my notes. It's funny you brought it up. Uh, we must have the same a uh, nerd illness. I I'm think. telling you, but... <laughs> that's what tripped me out when you're. I'm like, this guy sounds like he listens to it like I listen to it. Fuck. Uh, no, yeah. but uh, it's interesting. You know, th that's the only true harmony in this song. And it's a beautiful harmony on Really Thanks. Lucky We're Coming Thanks. Back in, in verse yeah. two. You yeah. don't hear it again in the song. And I kind of think that's what makes this song unique, too. I almost don't want to hear another harmony. This song feels like to me, again, kind of an epic tune, but squished up. So this, this two bar bridge we're about to do and the one harmony in the middle. If the song were 10 minutes long, there would be a harmony <laughs> section right there that would be a nice, long, melodious sure. thing. And But for this, I just gave myself one little moment. Um, anyway, so that's really neat. Yeah.
Well, the bridge is uh, just two lines. I would never yeah. decide. It repeated twice. And then we get in yeah. to the final chorus. Chorus three, drums, bass, and both guitars are in. Drums go to a crash cymbal. The whole band gets louder here and bigger, yeah. mostly due to the intensity. It's not like they, you know, yeah. the volume of everything got more. It's just the intensity. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. Was this done to click track? It doesn't sound like it. No, no. This was we. This was right on the edge of when Pro Tools was becoming a thing and we made a conscious choice to to not do it. And I'm just so grateful for that. The reason I ask, you're not off to the races here by any means in Chorus 3, but that intensity, you know, it's probably up a beat, a beat, a beat and a half here. And you can, yep. and you can feel that the lyric again for Chorus 3, Mother Mary over, over, Mother Mary over, over. And then it says Mother Mary over, over. And the last line, Mother Mary over, over me. Um, we get those double vocals again on the third line before yeah. the very last line, Mother Mary over, over. And within that unison vocal, Jonah, there's like one or two words. It's kind of a, a harmony, but it's nowhere near stacked or uh, as present as the harmony earlier in the song. I, I like it. It's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's just two, that's just two lead vocal performances. Sardi liked both of them and we left them both in. And so it turned into kind of a harmony slash unison weird moment, but it was basically just a, a natural, just a happy accident. They say in the, in the old studio. Right. And just before the, the last line here, uh, it's just one guitar. And yeah. then the very last thing we hear is your voice saying me. Yeah. So yeah. I like that too. And I've talked about yeah. that a lot on this show. I feel like a lot of times when a vocal needs to be personal, and this is just me saying this right now, there doesn't yep. need to be a harmony on it. It's just right. my voice. I like that it goes to the singular voice. It Thank takes you. it back to, to just you, which I feel fits the vibe and definitely uh, uh, fits the lyrics now that you've explained them to me. Exactly. And literally, exactly. It, it all comes back to that in this noisy ass world, like here I am. Here and, I am. and just think that is that. So, yes, you, you fucking, yeah, you nailed it. Very cool. Well, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down. I love this song. I never, I, I never knew it was you guys. I remember, I remember seeing the name far. Like I said, you guys made a lot of noise in yeah. a short period of time. And then as, as, uh, as soon as you, you started to realize you were there, you, you were gone before <laughs> we break, before we break, what's going on with you? What do you, what do you got to, to leave the listeners with what's happening? So many things as always. It's really sweet that you, that you didn't know this was us because I think the story of my life for better or for worse as an artist is that people will know music that I've made, but they won't know that it's me that made it. Um, <laughs> I, I was playing with a band called New End Original after Far broke up and we were opening for a band called Just Brazil in a pretty big theater at the time. And uh, after our set, I was back at the merch table and a guy came up and said, I owe you an apology. And I thought, oh, why, why do you owe me an apology? He's like, because for the first half of that set, I was so mad because I was like, who is this motherfucker ripping off Jonah? <laughs> and and he didn't know that I had a different band. Uh, and so it's- That's it's awesome. A very, yeah, so, it's, so that has continued throughout many years. And where that leaves me now is- uh, Gosh, I mean, I do, I'm release. I release new music every 
month, I'm going to date myself since 2000. In 2000, I started doing essentially crowdfunded patronage thing like Patreon is now doing. But I was doing it with a thing called Always New starting in 2000 and and then took a bunch of years off and have been doing it more in the last few years. And so long story short, I do a song every month and I do some writing and photographs about it and people subscribe to it. And so that's a thing that I just adore. I just did a collaboration with a guy called Scott Morrow from Chicago. It's this insanely weird ethereal and then insanely really fucking heavy tune called But You Said. That's going to be out soon. Um, I've got a thing called Scan Anxiety that's going to be out soon that um, was written for a woman going through cancer. And uh, I really love that tune. And then, yeah, I guess I can talk about this uh, out loud. Um, I'll say a couple things. There's going to be a reissue of Tin Cans with Strings to You by a little German label. Um, and hopefully I'll have some copies of those to sell through my site. And then Iodine, the label that released my last record, is doing a reissue of the sketchy EPs, which are and a lot of music I made from 1999 through 2001, right after Far broke up. So long story short, a ton of shit's going on. Uh, the website is joanamatranga.com. Come and visit because what I love most is not to be on the social networks together, but to be actually directly connected through the internet and through the musics. And uh, so that's 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 it for me. Making a lot of stuff and hanging out, man. Right on. Well, hey, again, thank you so much, so much for taking the time, and, and best of luck to you. Thank you for giving a shit. Really, I far always said thanks for listening, and uh, I've kept saying that because it's the most important thing to me. So thanks for listening. Thanks for doing what you do, and hope to see you out there, man. Good luck with everything. And then we could just go for no other reason than because we both still want to be there then in the same place so still so quiet I want to get to be a family get to get a dog get to be as crazy as we want to when we want to let it out Hey everybody, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Jonah Matranga. Make sure you head over to jonahmatranga.com to go check out his music, including the song you were just listening to called Get a Dog. Lots of awesome stuff over there on his website. And uh, don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to make some podcasts coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, email your best song and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is 1876, an indigenous punk rock band from Portland, Oregon. 
that proudly hails from the Blackfeet, Northern Cheyenne, and Oglala Nations, mixing traditional indigenous instruments with punk rock, and they've created a sound they have dubbed Powwow Punk Rock. Pretty cool. You can find all their music on the streaming platforms, and here's a snippet of their song, DGAF. and Chris. Chris, did you meet your music nerd match this week? I think I did. He he was into this, man. I love when people come on and they're into it, you know? And I could tell that Jonah was really into it. So much so that when we finished, I'm like, Jonah, you should really go back in our back catalog. I think you'd really like the show. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So uh, that was really cool. I've liked Jonah's music for a really long time. And yes, he was requested by listeners of the podcast. And I'm glad that People did request him because I hadn't thought of reaching out to Jonah before this for some reason, and uh, I thought that was great. Oh, man, I would hear this song on just, you know, different playlists, backstage at Warped Tour barbecues. Didn't know that it was far. Uh, and when you brought this song up and I went and I listened, I was like, oh, my gosh. that So that's this band. Um, really cool song. It sounds like, and, it, you know, we don't like get into drama uh, on this show, but it sounds like there may have been a little rift with the band, you know, like they had this. Uh, post-hardcore sound and and he kind of went around everybody and showed the producer some of these songs because I don't know maybe maybe they wouldn't have had a deal uh, it sounds like there was definitely some hesitation on uh, uh, on their label Epic Immortal at the time and but at the end it seems like everything happened for a reason yeah for sure and obviously he's a lifer he's had a music career since you know he started back from when you were basically starting, right? I right. mean, been around the world making music. I think that's really cool. Um, I like how he described writing songs. I could definitely relate to that. He called it mush mouthing, yeah. where you're just kind of like making sounds with your mouth that kind of form some sort of melody and sort of consonants and vowel sounds come into your mouth and you just let the words arrive. And sometimes some sort of idea sparks from that. Have you written songs that way before? Um, many times, many demos have just been two in the morning. Just let me just put a, what I'm hearing in my head. And those inaudible grunts or noises or just vocals that you lay down, they end up having sometimes some charm to them to where other people hear them, be it someone at the label, one of the guys in your band, whoever. And you go to then write lyrics to it. And they're like, the verse isn't grabbing me anymore. That that thing you did. Why, why can't you just say that line? I was like, it's just something I came up with at two in the morning. No, no, no. It's got to be that line. There's a way, the inflection in your voice, the way you say that, that makes that part magical. Right. One other thing that he talked about in this episode that I thought was pretty funny is like, we all look back. I don't know. Maybe you had some good experiences, Chris. But for the most part, you know that sort of way that people in bands and artists demonize major record labels. Well, <laughs> you know, he said in comparison to the streaming overlords, as he called them, they make the major labels of the 90s look like communist arts benefactors, <laughs> which I thought it's really funny because, yes, now we're all subject to algorithms and things like that, whereas there was a little bit more of um, 
curation of what people hear. And now you could be subject to whatever some program or app <laughs> lets you hear. So I, I get that. Uh, but I thought that was a pretty interesting outlook on that. Yes, the 90s were a wild time, especially after Nirvana happened when you had bands like the band I always think of that like got major label deals in this era is Ween. <laughs> you know, like you had sure. bands like Ween on major labels because they were signing. There was a real glut of signing and just see what sticks and you had some wild bands getting signed the 90s were a pretty exciting time even for major labels absolutely you know and 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 these guys you know and i and i i always kind of am careful of of my words you know i don't don't want to tell someone you you guys could have would have should have but think of how many bands cite far as an influence right you know but it seems like right when they they started to get going uh that that the bottom dropped out and for whatever reason they didn't continue but uh th- this song is great i love the fact that it's really sparse it's really stripped down the recording it's how it was mixed that make the parts really jump out to those room mics and and some of the things that we talked about with the track um i can hear all of the bands that I mentioned, uh, Jimmy World, Thursday, all the bands uh, that came after that that would have heard far or loved this song, I can hear little traces uh, in the DNA of this song. I think that's really cool. Timing, man. Sometimes it doesn't pay to be the first <laughs> or, or an early you know, band to do a certain style. It, it is a shame. I think that far you know, whatever, whatever happened, happened. Jonah's here today making music and everything that happened needed to happen for him to still be making music today. So that's cool. Absolutely. But I do agree that Far could have could have been a, a way bigger band. They definitely influenced a lot of music we know today. And Chris, I also got to say, <laughs> I'll never forget my first experience in Eugene, Oregon. Who could ever forget their first time to <laughs> Eugene? What happened to you? Well, I'm just saying there were a lot of hippies living on buses, and I do believe that I, I didn't eat the cookie, but somebody in my camp that I was on tour with, some hippie just gave him a cookie and he ate it, you know? And uh, I think they got got pretty fucked up on that. On that cookie is what what I'm getting at, which is not surprising when you're in Eugene, Oregon. There you go. Went on a, a nice little trip. Well, if you want to go on a nice little audio trip, you yeah. can go sign up to our supporting cast, which is basically our Patreon at ChrisDemakes.com for five bucks a month. We'll give you a couple bonus episodes of the After Party bi-weekly or for ten bucks a month, the price of two cups of coffee. You can get a bonus episode every week. And this keeps the lights on here. It keeps us doing what we're doing. So please head over to ChrisDemakes.com and uh, sign up for our supporting cast. We'd appreciate it. Want to thank uh, each and every one of you out there. I don't say it enough. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. Uh, thanks to everybody who's joined our Chris Makes a Podcast Facebook group. Please give us a follow on Instagram. Yes, we have a Chris Makes a Podcast uh, Instagram page. Chris Fafalius, my trusted partner producer here, puts up a lot of great content, a lot of great videos. We also have a YouTube page. Go over there and check it out. Chris Makes Official. And give Chris and I a follow on Instagram. I'm at less than Christy. He's at Chris Fafalius. And want to thank this week's guest, Jonah Matranga, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week. Bowie. 
Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian McKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.